My office here at West sits at the front of the building looking out onto 16th Street. During the week, I sometimes pause to look out the window at the cars rushing up and down, the parents taking their babies for a walk, our neighbors out for a jog. These past few weeks, I have been watching the snow melt, a reminder that there are indeed green days ahead. My favorite time to stare out my office window, though, is on Saturday morning. That's when I see the throngs of people walking to temple, generally to Ohev Shalom, the Orthodox synagogue that is just a block south of us. People really dress up for services there, and of course the Orthodox community, particularly the women, share a particular style of dress. So there are mothers in hats and long skirts, fathers and their sons in yarmulkes, little girls in poofy dresses twirling around them. In the winter, they're bundled up against the cold. In the summer, the dresses and skirts often feature flowers, and the pace of the whole parade of people is more leisurely. Their clothes are always right for the weather because, of course, these folks have sometimes walked quite a ways to make it to our block of 16th Street. As most of you may know, Orthodox Judaism prohibits riding in a car on Shabbat, and so the attendees at Oheb Shalom make choices about their clothes, their shoes, even where they buy a house based in part on that walk to temple on Saturday morning. These people, I often think as I see them go along, are committed. Watching that parade of synagogue goers, though, is only my second favorite people watching of the week. The first happens here on Sunday morning as I watch all of you stream up our walk, dart in the back door of the building, corral children along the sidewalk, rush through the doors on a cold day, and bask in the sun on a warm one. Our outfits are a little more eclectic. Some of you come in jeans, some in your Sunday best. We have one three-year-old who frequently wears a sparkly pink princess dress. And we don't all walk, of course. After all, We are liberal religious folks, ethical culturists. We're not bound by tradition and doctrine. We don't have to be so strongly, so strangely committed. I have always had a kind of fascination with religious commitment, with the lengths to which people will go for their religious beliefs, the central place those beliefs hold in their lives. I'm envious, I think, of that kind of commitment, of the certainty that must go with it, the clarity with which the committed understand their core beliefs. What must it mean, I've wondered, to build your life around your religious values? And Then I think, wait a minute. Wait just a minute here. I decided at a young age that I felt drawn to religious leadership. That feeling influenced my choice of a college major. It led me to seminary and to a career to this job, in fact. My last two moves have both been based on proximity to my religious community. 
My husband and I wove our religious values through our wedding ceremony, and my daughter has been dedicated to the care of not just one, but two different congregations. When I think about it, the last 10, 15 years of my life have been entirely about my commitment to my religious beliefs and values. So what am I so envious of? I think in some ways the answer has to do with my identity as a religious liberal in the broadest sense of that word, liberal, open, favorable to reform, favorable to freedom of mind and action. For those of us who embrace those ideas as part of who we are, it can be hard to own our commitment, to own the ways in which our religious beliefs shape our lives. But the truth is we are committed. Our values do shape, even dictate, how we choose to live, and work and love. They even shape how we choose to arrive here on Sunday morning, just as they shape the arrival of Ohev Shalom's congregants. I see people carpool from their homes to get here, bike up, walk, take public transportation. I know about some of your car choices, the ways that you've tried to live a little lighter on the planet. And I see you parking carefully, trying to be respectful of our neighbors' homes and driveways. We've had a lot of conversation about parking over the last year, I know, and it's easy to feel like it's a pretty minor detail in the life of this community. But you know, it makes me proud to know that we take those details seriously, that people here want to be good neighbors on all levels. We live out our religious commitments in big ways, too. It was commitment that brought Mary, Peggy, Christine, and me out on a cold, rainy Wednesday morning to celebrate this week as the first applications for same-sex marriage licenses were filed in D.C. We shut the office down that morning, although I know we all had emails to answer and phone calls to return. Because beyond our individual duties as leaders and staff here at WES, we share a religious commitment to justice and equality, to love. It's that commitment, it's those religious values that have brought some of you out to marriage equality events over the last year, that prompt you to give your time teaching in the Sunday school, that cause you to rearrange your schedule so that you can participate in that adult education class or that deepening circle that you know will help you be the kind of person you want to be. It's what gets you here on Sunday morning and has you washing coffee cups so that we can avoid disposables or staffing the welcome table so that we can be a warm and hospitable presence. It's your commitment that makes all of this happen. You are, we are a committed people. There is one place, though, where liberal religious people have lagged behind their more conservative cousins, where those of us who serve as religious leaders in progressive communities can justifiably feel some envy. It's a sensitive topic, so I'll introduce it with a song. Money, 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 <laughs> must be funny in a theologically conservative world. Money, 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 always sunny in a theologically conservative world. 
It is not, of course, always fiscally sunny in a conservative theological world. But there is no question that more traditional religious groups tend to show a higher rate of giving from their members than more progressive religious groups. Some of that, I think, has to do with the biblical injunction to tithe. Folks think sometimes, I think, that that word tithe is actually a religious concept. But actually, it comes from the old English for tenth. And that's literally what it means, giving a tenth of what you own. In feudal systems, people tithed to their overlords as a way of paying for the protection given to them. In some religious traditions, people tithe to their church, and some churches tithe themselves, designating 10% of their budget to organizations in the wider world. So our understanding of tithing is often bound up in religious ideas. But I think even in the original biblical mandate, tithing was about giving to the common good, not just supporting the religious hierarchy. For that reason, religious progressives sometimes talk about tithing in broader ways than only to their religious community. In other words, taking hold of that original idea of tithing and giving 10% of their income to the world at large. I like this concept. But I think it's important that the largest single portion of that giving, of our giving, be to the religious community that we call home. This is, after all, the place where we mark the passage of the week and of the year, where we mark the passage of our lives. This is the place we know will always be here for us. It's where we spend our time and our energy And so it makes sense to me that it's also where we spend our money. My family's financial commitment to Wes is the biggest expense we have after our mortgage and childcare. And that makes sense to me because our congregation is a kind of shelter for us and a place of caring for our child. This is also the place where I have the chance to connect in authentic relationship with the people both in our community and outside our walls. And it's the place where I have the most hope and excitement about what a group of committed people can do together to change the world. Now I want to pause and have just a moment of celebration. Because the truth is, Wes does a pretty darn good job with financial commitment. This is a generous community. And together, we have been able to support a strong program and staff, a beautiful new addition to our building, and a long history and blossoming future of justice work. We should be proud of how we live our commitment to this community. And we should continue to go deeper, continue to find ways to have our financial commitment keep pace with our emotional commitment to provide the resources that can create the kind of organization we hope to be. Giving to any organization, but especially to a religious community, is an act of faith. We are committing to a vision, to a hope, a dream of what is possible. There may be things we want to change about our community, things we hope to become that we have not yet achieved. 
but we know that all of these possibilities rest first on our commitment to them. They depend on all of us standing up and saying, this is possible, this is worth it. Even if we know all of that, though, it can be hard to tell exactly what it means to make a strong financial commitment to a congregation. Not all of us are raised in the tradition of a religious community, and some of us were raised in communities with dues or a different giving structure. This year, we're introducing two new tools to help all of us determine what kind of financial gift we can and could make. Members of West will receive those tools by email or mail in the next few days ahead of that community dinner next Sunday evening. The first tool is an income worksheet, which helps you to figure out your adjusted gross income, what you have after you factor in assets and factor out costs like care of a parent or a child. It helps you get a picture of where you are starting from, which is part, I think, of financial health overall. The second tool is a fair share giving guide, which helps you to chart your adjusted income with suggested percentages so you can make a fair share gift. The thing I really like about this guide is that it acknowledges that we can't all make the same amount of gift or even the same percentage of our income. But it helps every person to figure out what gift they can afford that falls within fair share giving guidelines. Those guidelines were created with a vision in mind. They were created to help congregations understand all that they could be if there were members were willing to take on the financial part of religious commitment. They present strong goals for individual giving, goals that are aligned with a sense of being deeply rooted in and committed to a community. Goals that, if fulfilled, would allow West to be an even stronger presence in our neighborhood and in our city, to offer even more diverse and rich music and classes and programs, to support our children and our families in even more ways. I want to spend just a moment talking to the visitors among us this morning. I have been a visitor to a religious community. And I can only imagine what runs through your mind when you arrive, perhaps for the very first time with us, and find that of all the bad luck, this is the day they're talking about money. I should say that I think some West members may be thinking that today, too. And I am heartened that you have all stayed in your seats so far. But I wanted to add a message just to you. Because the truth is, you visitors, you are really who this platform is for. Or rather, you are who all of this is for, our community. Wes has taken bold steps in the last few years to open our doors and literally expand our space so that we can welcome even more people into this congregation. Whether this is the right place for you for a lifetime or just for this one hour, you are the reason that we make our financial commitments, that we give our time and energy and love to this place. We want it to be a special place for our own children and our friends and our elders 
but we want it to be a special place for your children and your friends and your elders too. We are a constantly changing tapestry of people here, growing and enlarging our spirit with every addition. And we are glad that you have joined us this morning. And I am glad that you are still around, even after all this talk about income worksheets and giving guidelines. For our members, I hope that the tools we present this year are helpful to you. I hope, too, that you'll hang on to another little tagline that I like, one that's simpler than worksheets and charts. I want to invite you to give until it feels good. That means not a gift that causes your family pain because you can't really afford it, but also not a gift that's just incidental to your family budget. Giving until it feels good means making a financial commitment that is a source of pride to you, that gives you the opportunity to feel even more connected to and responsible for the community that you love. Before seminary, I worked as a fundraiser in a national literacy nonprofit. I started doing fundraising work in college, and I knew I wanted to continue doing it after graduation because I found it really fun. But when I told people where I was headed during my senior year, I would get a lot of pained expressions. Oh, asking people for money? Do you like that? I did like it. <laughs> I liked it because I always believed in what I was raising money for. And because I felt that I was inviting people not just to spend their money wisely, but to spend it in a way that invited relationship and involvement. Money is a resource that, like any other, is only life-giving insofar as we use it well. To be able to use our money in a way that connects us with our deepest values, that ties us to each other, that opens up the way for more justice and more hope in the world. Well, I think that that's an easy ask. And so that's what we do at WES. That's what we'll ask you to consider at next weekend's community dinner, which also promises to be a great party, as always with Sarah and Michael at the helm, fun and games, and pies by KO. Yeah. I should have skipped this whole platform and said pies by KO. <laughs> My belief in that ask is the reason why Peter and I make a fair share gift to Wes, why we take our financial commitment here so seriously. Because I am proud of this community and what it has done and even more, I'm excited about what we can continue to be, about what we can grow into. And I know that it is our commitment to each other that allows that blooming, that spreading and deepening to happen. You, me, all of us make decisions based on our religious values every day. We decide how to raise our children, how to care for our elders, because of the worth we affirm in every person. We make choices about recycling and conserving because of our sense of connection to the Earth's system. 
We march and write letters and serve meals and celebrate because of our hope for justice in the wider world. And we can invest our resources because of our values too. We can make choices about our money that strengthen our own congregation and amplify our voice in the world. Because after all, why should the theologically conservative have all the fun?